Welcome to the VVV Podcast. Today, we are joined by Sriram Kanan, founder of Eigenlayer. Eigenlayer is a Layer 2 protocol built on Ethereum, which uses staked ETH2 as a bootstrapping mechanism for new dApps wanting to raise capital to build on top of Eigenlayer. For this, the protocol utilizes what they refer to as restaking. Restaking is a mechanism by which existing ETH2 stakers opt in to provide additional services for additional yield while taking on additional risk. In essence, Eigenlayer is trying to level the playing field so that new protocols don't have to bootstrap funds and have the opportunity to access the liquidity in the ETH2 staking system. All right. Thank you so much for making the time for this AMA. I would say that we get started right away and I will leave it to you to introduce. Uh, first of all, you have to let me know how to pronounce it correctly. Um, I would say Eigenlayer um, and let me know if that's correct. Yes, it's Eigenlayer and uh, pleasure to be here. I'm Sriram. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to all of you today. Thank you. Yeah, how about we get started with uh, you know, a 30,000 feet overview of what Eigenlayer is and then your role as a founder and your vision for the next couple of weeks and months? Yes. Um, one thing we, uh, you know, just to give a little bit of background about myself, I've been a kind of in the academic space in uh, blockchains over the last um, several um, uh, years, working on consensus protocols, scalability, all of this stuff. Um, one thing I found which was pretty uh, interesting is that the rate of innovation that we see at the core protocol layers is way slower than the rate of innovation we see at the application layers. And one may think that you know the large part of this reason is it's hard to build infrastructure, which is true to some extent. But um, diving deeper, we found that that's not the only reason. And the reason I say this is we see very interesting, powerful protocols be invented and even built uh, in academics. And sometimes even in uh, companies like Facebook was building these very, very powerful uh, protocols as well as virtual machines and things like that. But they were not yet deployed in public blockchains. So as we looked at some of these things, it became clear that the reason we have such an insane rate of innovation in the DAP layer is what I call as the decoupling of trust and innovation. A DAP creator need not be trusted. They're actually borrowing decentralized trust from the blockchain. And since they don't need to be trusted themselves, they can be a nobody, they can be an anon and actually still create very valuable products. So this is really, uh, and, and this transformation was really brought forth by Ethereum. Because if you look at it, Bitcoin already had created the concept of decentralized trust, but this decentralized trust was bundled in with the core network that Bitcoin was in terms of uh, using its own consensus protocol, using its own particular application. You can think of Bitcoin as the first application specific blockchain. And what Ethereum did is modularize this trust and created a marketplace in which trust can be sold for fees. And so what happened is people started building these applications. They are basically paying a fee to Ethereum. The application users are paying a fee to Ethereum for the privilege of using or consuming the decentralized trust. So what Ethereum did in economic terms is to create a pricing market for decentralized trust. If decentralized trust is the core value proposition of blockchain, then Ethereum created the first free market pricing for this decentralized trust. However, Ethereum was limited in the dimensions in which it could supply this trust. It could supply it to dApps, which were particularly written on top of the Ethereum virtual machine. There were any number of other things that could not consume decentralized trust, and hence the market was rather limited. Examples include, I want to build a consensus protocol. I want to build a, a middleware like an Oracle. I want to build a data availability layer. I want to build a, 
uh, faster uh, consensus protocol, which has different properties. I want to build an authentication layer. I want to build um, a, a layer where zero-knowledge proofs are verified in parallel. Whatever the set of things are that you want to do, you cannot simply do that on top of uh, Ethereum. So essentially what Ethereum has done is to take programs which are written in an Ethereum virtual machine, but they coordinate, the Ethereum protocol coordinates how it is distributed on this massive network of either tens of thousands of nodes or hundreds of thousands of nodes, the way you look at it. So what? So th this was the friction for creating and deploying new innovations at the deeper layers of the stack in the infrastructure layer because they cannot simply consume trust. Each new idea needed to create new decentralized trust mechanisms that's fragmenting the market. It reminds me of the situation that Bitcoin put other developers in before the launch of Ethereum. If you wanted to build a domain name system, you had to go, go and build your own chain, Namecoin, and so on. And I think that's the same thing that's happening today uh, because of the limitations of the decentralized trust marketplace. And eigenlayer is a mechanism to make this market way more efficient by supplying decentralized trust, not in the limited dimensions that Ethereum is doing it, but to make it much more generalized. So you can use ETH, ETH staking and restaking, you reuse the same capital that you put into Ethereum to actually um, start building any of these other decentralized trust services you can build oracles, data availability layers, fast zero knowledge proof verifiers, faster consensus protocols that will allow you to settle these rollups much faster than Ethereum latency and so on, and fast bridges, all of these things on top of it. So that's our vision for Eigenlayer. Eigenlayer is a mechanism that allows each stakers to provide additional services and thus creating a massive degree of freedom in which trust is offered to services. That sounds super interesting and extremely impressive. Can you give us a rough idea where you are currently at with the development status? Meaning, are you at 1% out of the 100% which you eventually want to reach? Are you at 10%? Where are you currently at with your progress? <laughs> 100% of eigenlayer, the way we think about it is it should power all of decentralized trust because it's a, it's just a marketplace that enables each stakers to provision all these services. Uh, so we are very early in this broad picture. However, uh, just the core concepts in terms of, you know, how do you build a, a restaking platform? How do these smart contracts look? How do payments, staking, slashing, all of these work? We've built all of these things as smart contracts. We've also built the first service on top of Eigenlayer, which is EigenDA, which is a data availability service built on top of Eigenlayer, taking in best practices from essentially Ethereum dunk sharding and incorporating it into an opt-in layer. Um, so that's the two things we have already done is to build core aspects of the platform uh, eigenlayer, which is the restaking mechanism and, you know, general purpose modular uh, slashing built on top of it and demonstrated with our first application, which is data availability, which shows how to use this general purpose platform and uh, build something on top. Uh, we are on internal test nets and uh, we, uh, we hope to be on mainnet in, uh, in Q2 2023. Okay. And you're still somewhat flying under the radar, right? Because so one thing which you couldn't find is, for example, a white paper or any official documentation which explains your protocol in detail. Yes, we will be uh, putting some of those things up in public in the coming months, you know, when we launch our test nets. Yes. And... You know, any any questions which are off limit, then, you know, please just tell me, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to ask uh, a lot of the things which the, the um, community has inquired about. So how much funding has Eigenlayer raised today? Um, we will make an announcement on our previous funding round in the coming week. Okay. And it seems like your team is involved in multiple projects. They do academic work, they work at Eigenlayer, and then there's also EigenDA. Is that a heavy load for them where you have immediate plans to expand the team or do all those different 
aspects you know work in synergy with each other i've been on leave from the university of washington building this uh, startup so uh, so my attention has been on the startup over the last 15 months um in terms of the team we are definitely looking for uh, uh anybody who's deep into infrastructure uh, to come join us to build uh, this platform up so absolutely interested in expanding uh, but also we want to think we the way we think about our, ourselves is as not only uh, building a core platform but also providing a list of ideas on to on the set of things that can be built on top of iron layer you know um, so that is our core strength uh, we have a long track record on building new consensus protocols uh, data availability and many other sharding and other solutions on uh, in the blockchain space so we we will continue to play that role um and yeah and the nice thing is all of that can be channeled into uh, products either that we build or other people build on top of icon layer i do okay. and how the our guiding vision is what i will call as open innovation so that is our uh, guiding vision at iron layer which is we should enable as many people as possible to build on top of a common framework rather than uh, and, and minimize the frictions uh, that that exist in doing that and um, you know if you look at uh, i i briefly alluded to this uh, the the reason we have a pseudonymous economy today possible is because of the separation of trust and innovation and uh, we view it as a paradigm shift akin to uh, venture capital which which was separation of innovation and capital and somebody brings capital and somebody else brings innovation is the same thing the blockchains have done already starting with ethereum is the ability to decouple trust and innovation and uh, we want to do the same thing to enable anybody to build on top of a common platform and uh, we are equally interested in making sure that the entire blockchain space actually moves ahead we think of this as an extremely non zero sum game um and a net benefit to everybody if good ideas are not only incorporated inside our system but widely adopted through the industry and how big is the team at the moment we are at 12 right now and i can tell that you're that you're passionate about what you talk about so what drives you personally what's your personal motivation to build eigen layer <laughs> actually i can talk a little bit about what 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 drew us into this project or into crypto to begin with um yes and please. that's really i think at the root node of uh, how we think about various things um you know i got introduced to blockchain around january 2018 um but my interest in peer to peer systems dates dates far back you know my phd a masters and phd from 2006 to 2011 was in peer to peer wireless systems how do you build infrastructure free wireless systems which do not require things like base stations and implanted infrastructure the way the reason we were thinking about this is how do you get last mile coverage around the world of wireless where uh, these infrastructure may not reach it turned out that that was uh, not the way peer to peer and mesh networks and uh, were not the way that uh, coverage reached the last mile we are happy to see that there is massive infrastructure deployments in both uh, in in developing countries around the world um so i was little so i switched from that to work on synthetic and computational biology over several years from 2011 12 to uh, recently and the reason i got interested in that is the um, the ability of genomics to actually touch at the root node of what who we are and actually start improving ourselves so that has been it's been an area in which i've done uh, a reasonable amount of work and uh, however 2018 when i heard about blockchains i was like hey this is is this like some kind of speculative bubble that's going to just die soon or is there something long standing that that is uh, that that could outlast uh, these speculation or whatever market movements and um, while thinking through that uh, actually from uh, evolutionary biology one of my like core operating principles is 
uh, understanding things through the lens of uh, evolution. And uh, if you look at what the competitive advantage of humans is, evolutionary advantage of humans, um, uh, Yuval Noah Harari in his famous book, Sapiens, makes the case that humans are special, not necessarily because we are intelligent, but, but because we have the ability to cooperate flexibly in large numbers. Three words, cooperate flexibly in large numbers. And this is kind of like a, a, a principle that, that I really like. And so I go back to it as like a guiding principle. Um, so when you think about this, cooperate flexibly in large numbers, um, the major friction to cooperation uh, in human society is trust. So I'll cooperate with you if I know I can trust you in terms of what you will do and in terms of how the rewards of such cooperation are going to be distributed. So if trust is the major friction of cooperation, uh, how much can decentralized trust accelerate the basic you know, evolutionary advantage of humans, which is the ability to cooperate flexibly in large numbers? And as I think through this core thesis, um, I see that uh, Bitcoin, the way I position it is Bitcoin has basically already kind of established the mechanisms for trustless cooperation, you know, decent or trust emerging out of decentralization. And uh, I, I find this to be a fascinating idea that actually decentralized trust can help us cooperate better. But if you expand to this basic premise that cooperation flexibly in large numbers is the driving value proposition, then you think about it, what do you mean by cooperate flexibly? You know, the way Harari means about cooperating flexibly is that um, if you think about things like army ants, they cooperate in large numbers, right? Because they have large colonies, but their cooperation is genetically determined rather than uh, being able to adapt flexibly by uh, knowledge and memes and, and so on. And, that's the difference I see between Bitcoin and Ethereum is Bitcoin is cooperation. Ethereum is flexible cooperation because Bitcoin's like set, you know, dimensions in which it can offer decentralized trust is fixed at birth. Whereas uh, Ethereum has an ability to upgrade and not only upgrade itself, but also let anybody else build on top. This modularizing this cooperation to, uh, into a market on which other people can build on top. So I think of Bitcoin as enabling trustless cooperation, Ethereum as enabling trustless cooperation flexibly. And then you can ask, is it two points that you can ask through this thesis is, uh, is does it enable cooperating in large numbers, which is scalability? I think of large numbers as like onboarding the next billion users. If you think about it, what are the problems at the root node of blockchain one major problem is when you want to onboard the next 1 billion users, we know one thing about users, they do not want to pay for security. Security is very uh, non-perceivable in the short term, so it's not clear users will pay for security. And the only way we are going to get 1 billion users to build on top of blockchain is if security is cheap. That is, there should be no trade-off between security and, and scalability. So the cost of security is cheap. So thinking through how to make the cost of security cheap. So that's how we come up with things like Eigenlayer, which is a mechanism for reusing stake so that the capital cost of security goes down. That's how we come up with things like EigenDA, where we think through very carefully what is the operational cost of data availability. So going back to this thesis, you have... Bitcoin is co trustless cooperation. Ethereum is cooperate flexibly. Eigenlayer is expanding the scope of flexible cooperation because it supplies trust more flexibly than Ethereum can uh, by just reusing the same Ethereum platform. And um, you can think of uh, in large numbers is the scalability that already layer twos are addressing, but also with data availability and some of our other uh, primitives, we want to think through how to build horizontally scaled services on top of Eigenlayer. When you build an Oracle, do you need everybody to actually get the price feeds? Can you get only a subset of nodes to get the price feeds, but still get the full security? So somehow getting high security without a compromising on cost is something that, that drives us. 
So yes, so that's my entire framework laid bare there. Cooperate flexibly in large numbers. Thank you. Thank you. That's very insightful. So can you maybe explain in a you know slightly simplified technical way how Eigenlayer actually works on Ethereum? Yes. So the core premise of Eigenlayer is restaking. I want to use the same capital that um, that is being staked on Ethereum to provide additional services. So how would you do that? How would you get the same capital to be reused for other services? How do you restake? Part of restaking is that you want to share economic security. What is economic security? Economic security is in proof of stake systems. I'm putting down some stake and committing to doing certain kinds of actions. For example, block making. And if I fail in doing the block making correctly, I will be slashed, which is I will lose my funds. This is the root of trust of proof of stake systems, particularly systems like Ethereum. Now, uh, when we want to build Eigenlayer, we want to expand the suite of services. So when you restake, it's, it should not just be used as a civil resistance mechanism, a mechanism for identifying who participates in the system, but it should also have powerful positive and negative incentives to participate. So on Eigenlayer, if you commit to providing a certain service and do not provide that service correctly, you should be slashed. Your funds may be lost. And this is what keeps people secure in a pseudonymous economy. I think I just want to take like 10 seconds to explain why I think this is super important. Slashing is, uh, as, is a mechanism for negative incentives. And without negative incentives, it is very difficult to build reliable systems in a pseudonymous world. right? If, if everybody participating is pseudonymous, then what is the assurance that they are doing their service correctly and slashing is that protection. Okay, how do we br bring slashing to Eigenlayer if all your stake is on Ethereum? If you go on stake in the Ethereum core contracts, there's no way that Eigenlayer, which is a kind of built on top of Ethereum can actually access that. So the way we get around this is by restaking. What is restaking? Restaking, what we, there are various ways of restaking. I'll explain a couple of them. One way is native restaking. Native restaking is you go and stake on Ethereum. When you stake on Ethereum, you can specify there are different degrees of freedom in specifying things. For example, you can specify who is your validator who will run your operations. You can specify who is the fee recipient who will receive the fees from your staking. You can also specify separately who is able to withdraw funds when you want to exit your staking position. By setting the withdrawal address to the Eigenlayer smart contracts, you're giving the power to the Eigenlayer smart contracts, not to us or anybody in particular, but to the Eigenlayer smart contracts, you're giving the power to withdraw. Normally, the contracts will let you let, pass on the withdrawal power from the smart contract to yourself because you are the rightful owner of that particular stake. But if you opted into some services on Eigenlayer and behaved maliciously on any of those services, Eigenlayer could withdraw your stake, slash a portion of it, and return only the remaining portion back to you. So this is called native restaking. This is a mechanism by which stakers can participate in Eigenlayer without intermediation. They just natively restake. There are other ways. And I, I excuse yeah. me. And I suppose that would be done in a trustless manner. So people wouldn't have to trust you or you know, the team specifically to, to be just whenever they slash. That is correct. The slashing is all written in uh, ossified smart contracts in equilibrium, right? In, in the initial phase, we need to have some training wheels. I'll explain what those are, but basically yes. in, in equilibrium, essentially the idea is that there is no reason uh, that we will have any involvement in how slashing happens. Okay, thank you. It's the same training wheels that layer twos have to go through, initially having some modes of governance to protect against things like smart contract risk and eventually completely making themselves ossified. So that's the same path for Eigenlayer. Um, to explain other modes of staking, you could take your uh, Lido stake deeds token or your Rocket Pool stake deed 
uh, our ETH and then deposit it on Eigenlayer and specify that either you do the validation yourself or somebody else does validation for you. So these are different modes of restaking on Eigenlayer. Okay, thank you very much. That makes sense. And I assume if, if I'm able to understand it, then the majority of the community is also going to be able to uh, cross the content. <laughs> no, happy to take any, uh, any clarification questions. Yeah, guys, if there's anything specifically which you want to know, please be sure to comment below this Twitter Spaces event. Use the hashtag VVVFund, then you guys can be sure that I'm not going to miss the question and that I'm going to be able to read it. And please also, again, be so kind and leave a retweet and a like for our guest. Make sure this event is going to be seen. Even afterwards, we usually have about 2,000 people listening to the recording and as more people as we can draw in and make aware that Eigenlayer exists, the better it's going to be for everyone. So let me see some of the additional questions which we have for from the community. So before I, before I ask the question, could you maybe explain what middleware is and means? Middleware is any service that requires distributed validation. So just to give a contrast, I'll, I'll show something which, which does not require distributed validation in addition to the core services of a blockchain, Uniswap, right? Uniswap is totally uh, self-sufficient on top of you know, a given blockchain because it has a set of smart contracts. It does not require any specific distributed validation. But there are other services, like if you want to build an Oracle, if you want to build a data storage service, you want to have a set of nodes which actually either store the data, acquire price feeds, run a consensus protocol, run uh, some kind of like a, a, a node off-chain. All of these services that require distributed validation that is not natively provided on a blockchain, we call them middlewares. Um, okay. You can think of them as services that require active distributed validation. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you. And with that precursor, I'm going to ask a, a relevant question to the topic. Will Eigenlayer do any due diligence on middleware developing on top of it? What measures do you have in place to prevent bad actors from deploying using your protocol? Yes. So... I'll, I'll start from, from a little bit of a philosophical discussion and, and dive into exactly how we handle this. So one thing that I think is at the heart of blockchains, uh, the new value proposition of blockchains is objectivity and credible neutrality. That is what a blockchain like Ethereum stands for. But to actually get these systems to work, there is a layer of subjectivity and uh, social involvement, which which is needed, you know. Otherwise, you cannot. Uh, if if you say code is law, then how do you handle da the DAO hack? If you say code is law, how do we handle various you know bridge hacks and other things that we are seeing today? Uh, how do we handle things like, you know, if we just make Eigenlayer a core part of Ethereum, you know, maybe it's a part of the protocol. Uh, one issue is what if uh, people build a slashing condition on top, which either had a bug which slashes everybody's funds, or it has, um, it is maliciously written in a way that actually uh, is trying to steal people's funds. So these are important issues that are at the heart of blockchain. And I think the answer to this is not a binary one. It is neither we just focus on objectivity and credible neutrality, or we make the systems so subjective that the value of decentralized trust is gone. So we have to find a path which strikes through the uh, a balance through these two things. Now, how do we do that in Eigenlayer? Um, the way we think about it in Eigenlayer is um, web, as far as you know, I mentioned, our objective is open innovation. So open innovation means anybody should build anything on top of Eigenlayer. And, but, Things like due diligence are subjectivity, right? We, you know, I may say something is good or bad, whereas somebody else may say, no, that's actually uh, the opposite. And so how does Eigenlayer straddle the trade-off between open innovation and security? 
you know, without security, stakers sleep. And so if stakers are not there, there is no innovation to be built on top. Okay, how do we handle this? So the biggest problem that we are concerned with is slashing maliciously or, or based on wrong contracts, which are returned either maliciously or which are returned with bugs. So how do we protect against this? We want to introduce a layer of subjectivity in the middle on slashing. Uh, we get reputed Ethereum community members, both building the core protocol uh, as well as people building on top uh, to, to be involved in actually a committee that can do a veto of slashing. Okay, a veto of slashing. They cannot incur or create new slashing. So your funds are not, not at risk trusting this particular committee. But the funds, the, the slash, so whenever a smart contract triggers a slashing event, it's algorithmic and objective, but that objectivity may have some errors in it. And to protect against that, this committee, which is uh, made of, you know, like I said, it's not a token committee which can be bought out, but it is a committee which then uh, can uh, is made of reputed Ethereum members, both building on top of Ethereum as well as building the core protocol, which can uh, veto the slashing. So their only role is vetoing slashing, which has occurred improperly. Now, how do we elect this committee? How we elect this committee is, of course, initially it has to be subjective, but eventually uh, we can have governance processes. One example of a governance process is that there is a DAO which is interested in the Eigen ecosystem. And this DAO, maybe token holders or others, can elect the next set of uh, uh, reputational committee members and but this gets enacted with a lag, maybe a few weeks. And if this committee was elected to not have highly reputed members, middlewares, which are built on top of it, can opt out of eigenlayer. Similarly, stakers built, you know, who have uh, who are trusting the committee members can opt out of staking on eigenlayer. So essentially by creating the right incentives and the right lags in governance, we can ensure that this kind of an election process does not cause immediate risk, but can align the interests of the different parties to actually make sure that this, the powers of subjectivity are balanced with the uh, objectivity and credible neutrality that we seek to achieve. Now, in terms of onboarding new uh, new uh, solutions built on top of Eigenlayer, the way we are thinking about it, and we'd be open to uh, uh, getting feedback on how better governance can be put in. But at the moment, the way we are thinking about it is new new services built on Eigenlayer, which want the protection of this veto, will be onboarded by this DAO, by the committee. Why? Because the committee needs to know what they're vetoing. If, they, if it's an oracle, if it's a data availability, if it is something else, they, they need to understand the conditions under which they can veto the slashing. And so that, that is an important thing. And so we want to make sure that the committee understands what they're vetoing. So the committee has the power to onboard new services. But this is, as, as you can see, a little bit against open innovation. And the way we think about that is you can create two categories of services, one which are subject to the veto and another which is not subject to the veto. Services which are not subject to the slashing veto uh, have to, uh, and uh, for stakers to opt in, have to be at a much higher trust level because stakers are taking a risk without actually having a protection of a slashing veto. And we envision that essentially services built on Eigenlayer initially go through a period where they are with the slashing veto, just like layer two solutions today have governance mechanisms, but eventually they will migrate to an ossified state in which they do not need the protection of the slashing veto and stakers will still feel comfortable opting in. So that's the two levels. You have a level where anybody can build anything, but there is a trust barrier to opt for the stakers to opt in. There is another level of, um, uh, which is controlled by uh, 
onboarding processes, which includes things like due diligence, smart contract audits, as well as off-chain code audits that the teams would do uh, in order to uh, trust and onboard new services on Eigenlayer. Does it also mean that there's a need for a governance token? Eventually, that's a, that's a thing that we may have to consider to make sure that this process can be self-sustaining. Of course, initially, uh, you know, we will get our reputed members to actually participate in it without actually having any kind of tokenized system. Does it also mean that you probably are not going to have a token at all? Is that uh, the route which you seem to be going? Um, this is a decision we can make down this down the line. We don't need a token to launch our system. And you mentioned something uh, which uh, I don't want to glance over, but you mentioned that you could, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you mentioned that you could potentially become a part of Ethereum itself. Yes, we would, you know, we are very much aligned to the core value proposition of Ethereum, and we wouldn't mind if the protocol becomes completely internalized as a default thing in Ethereum. The one thing I mentioned on becoming a part of Ethereum is then Ethereum has to take some kind of subjective positions on, you know, slashing vetoes and things like that, which I don't think that right now we haven't figured out how those risks can be mitigated in a general way. But we do see ourselves as, at another level, services built on Eigenlayer could potentially, you know, uh, some of the best services and ideas could be internalized into the Ethereum protocol. So there are two levels of this question, whether our services built are internalized. For example, our data availability layer. I've talked to Ethereum members in kind of seeing which aspects of this make sense to, to, to be a part of the Ethereum protocol. So okay. another way of thinking about Eigenlayer is a market for free, a free market protocol upgrades to Ethereum, right? Like anybody can come and build new services and as these services mature and become quite robust, um, the, uh, the concretized version of those services can then be incorporated into the default Ethereum protocol potentially. But there's always an edge of innovation, which is, you know, if we have a data availability protocol running at 15 megabytes per second, and maybe that was running for three years and that gets internalized into Ethereum, you know, the protocol could improve and we may be able to run hundreds of megabytes per second or a gigabytes per second. And there's always an edge in innovation. And uh, the, the way we think about blockchains and crypto is we want to minimize rent seeking and we want to maximize innovation. So, um, so that, that's exactly where we see Eigenlayer's role being. Could you maybe give us an example of the difference in cost of being on Ethereum directly and by having something deployed on Eigenlayer? The cost depends on what the service is. So maybe I can make this question concrete by taking the example of data availability. Um, so one way to think about the cost, the way cost works on Ethereum is there is a capacity or a limit. And as you get closer and closer to this capacity, the cost shoots up. And the total, uh, if all of the Ethereum block space is only used for writing data, there is no computation, no execution, no Uniswap on L1, no compound, nothing. Just it's used for writing data today. Ethereum's data bandwidth is at 80, 83 kilobytes per second. And with the upcoming provision of 4844, uh, which is an upgrade, EIP 4844 is an upgrade to Ethereum coming up. Um, even with the existence of other services, we can get a data bandwidth of 80 kilobytes per second. So while 80 kilobytes per second is much higher than the data bandwidth used by rollups today, we are envisioning a future where there is massive amounts of activity on top of Ethereum. So the total bandwidth provisioned on EigenDA is 15 megabytes per second. So 15 megabytes per second uh, is uh, you know, several orders of magnitude higher than what the data availability available on Ethereum is. So if you apply a similar pricing mechanics on top of EigenDA, you would see that data availability or data bandwidth is much cheaper on EigenDA than it is on Ethereum. 
Um, and, uh, and of course, this should not be a surprise because essentially we're taking the ideas from the next upgrade of Ethereum, which is called Donk Sharding, and have incorporated some of which some of it into our solution. And the key aspect of the solution is horizontal scaling. When we want data to be available or stored, we need a set of nodes to actually download and store this data. If we ask every node to download and store this data, this is a massive cost that is incurred. If we ask each node to only download a fraction of the data, the problem is what if that node then goes down, can you retrieve the data? By using erasure codes and advances in cryptography like KZG polynomial commitments, we can actually get a system where each node downloads very little, but even if a lot of nodes go down, depending on some parameters, even if 90% of the nodes go down, you can actually reconstruct all the data. So that's what you can do on EigenDA, and because it packs this efficiency uh, of core protocol design, you actually get much lower incurred costs. And therefore, we expect the fees on EigenDA to be much lower. And how would that be notable for the end user? Is there any other advantages than just having lower fees? Or is there anything which, which you might even notice that you're now using something on EigenLayer much rather than on Ethereum directly? The way we expect this to translate is if you look at the three basic uh, use cases of blockchain today, they are DeFi, NFT, and DAOs. These three are where I would say um, there is it, it, two things have aligned. One is the willingness to pay a high fee for trust, right? When you're doing financial applications, when you want to transact, these are digital assets when you want to create a DAO, which is self-regulating. These are all places where people are willing to pay a premium for trust. But there are any number of other use cases of digital platforms in which blockchain is the right paradigm to build, in which people will not be able to pay that kind of a premium. Think of things like social networks, ride sharing, all these other things which have massive rent seeking at its center and which can be displaced through crypto. But the problem is that blockchains were not scalable enough to accommodate them. Blockchains were not cost efficient enough to handle the massive data throughputs underneath these things. And the right architectures to build these new uh, services uh, are not at ready. And we see the role of Eigenlayer is in letting other infrastructure builders build some of these pieces so that it enables the next 100 use cases of blockchain. Do you see any threat in other solutions which might provide more convenience or you know, which might be attracting the developers at a faster rate, for example? Is there anyone out there who you see as a competitor? No, like I mentioned, this is a massively non-zero-sum game. So we are happy if we see any blockchain, any ecosystem actually uh, flourishing is not a problem, is actually a big, uh, big lesson there for us in terms of what are the new features that we can add to Ethereum through Eigenlayer or otherwise that will actually enable these new things to flourish. Things like new virtual machines, we are very excited about, and we think those virtual machines will be built as layer twos on top of EigenDA because we have enough data bandwidth to accommodate all blockchains today. So any, anything that's working in other ecosystems is a massive advantage for, I think, Ethereum. And the same way, we are also happy to contribute back ideas that will encourage these other ecosystems to build better. So I think if you know we find new use cases built on things like Solana, new use cases built on things like Avalanche or uh, uh, Aptos or Sui, new ideas for consensus protocols, these are all massively non-zero-sum games. We think there are only two, I, I alluded a lot to cooperate flexibly in large numbers earlier. I think there are really only two things that are non-zero-sum. And one is cooperation. By cooperating together, we create something that is much better than each of us doing individually. 
and other is innovation. Innovation creates something out of nothing. And these two are the non-zero-sum creators. And we are very happy to see that either happening in Ethereum or elsewhere. And if you know there are new technology ideas that can be incorporated, I think they can be incorporated easily into Ethereum through Eigenlayer. The way we think about it is this is horizontal gene transfer. You know, this is an important phenomenon in bacterial evolution when you have, you know, bacteria can exchange genes. And I think that's exactly what will happen through Eigenlayer. And that's why bacteria underwent a rate of evolution, which is much higher than most other species. Yes, thank you. And I'm going to start uh, the next question with someone from the community. So, Head Duckley is asking, as a middleware layer indexer, Oracle developer, what are the trade-offs I am making developing on top of Eigenlayer compared to what these services are doing today, apart from the obvious coupling trust with the base layer? What other trade-offs are you making? Yes. So let me address one thing that I think when I've talked to many, many uh, middleware developers, both existing and new, uh, that is on top of their mind is hey, if all value goes back to ETH, what is my value capture? And the way I think about it is you think of things like dApps built on top of Ethereum. They, uh, you know, like Uniswap, can start taking a cut of the fees paid inside their system without having the Uni token to be uh, required for staking. So there is a value proposition just by, you know, taking a cut of the fees uh, paid to the ETH stakers. Number one. Number two, some of these middlewares already have tokens or can tokenize these fees potentially. Number three, the middleware token itself can be used for co-staking along with the ETH restaking. So you can have two quorums, one ETH stakers, another middleware stakers. For example, if you wanted to get a data storage guarantee, you get a commitment from the ETH stakers, but you also get a commitment from the middleware stakers, your own token stakers. And both these commitments are required in order for a given data to be considered stored. That's an example of dual token staking. So you can have things like dual token staking, which enables these middleware to create their own staking economies in addition to getting Ethereum staking. And this helps protect some of the negative spirals that may occur in tokens, which are endogenously staked. For example, if the token goes down in value, or uh, the middleware token goes down in value, then the economic security attendant to it goes down. And when the economic security goes down, uh, people pull out uh, users or dApps, you know, don't connect to that Oracle because it's deemed less secure. And as dApps pull out value, the token goes down even further. So endogenously staked tokens uh, used for security have these potential risks. And you can hedge that or get an insurance against security risks by actually borrowing economic security from Ethereum. And what you can do is you can have, you can provision a fraction of fees go to your own token stakers and a fraction goes to ETH stakers dynamically. And uh, so this is how we see um, the middleware ecosystem uh, evolving on top of Eigenlayer. There'll be some which will have no token. They just want a fraction of the fees and build a classical infrastructure type business on top of Eigenlayer. There'll be others who use their own tokens for payment, others who use their own tokens for co-staking. We'll see massive amounts of innovation, not only in algorithmic design, but also in the economic structures attendant to it. Thank you. And uh, Sri Ram, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, how, how much time do we have? Uh, I can go like 10 minutes after 12. Okay, perfect. Thank you. So, we have, because we have I mean, we have a plethora of questions still uh, prepared, but we also have uh, uh, quite a few from the community uh, asking live. So I'm, I'm going to continue with the live questions. So the question is from Miaotistic. Is there a reason for using staked ETH other than capital efficiency? For, from your description, Sriram, 
of restaking, it sounds like it can work with any ERC20 or plain native ETH. That is correct. You can restake anything. Um, the capital efficiency accrues if you're doing restaking. You're using stake on Ethereum as well as your other platform. Uh, what other uses are there of restaking? Number one, if you want to, to get access to block proposals, you know, there's a lot of MEV management uh, uh, that, that, that is, a, that is a accruing interest, right? You know, a lot of interest in building MEV management solutions. One thing you want when you want to build an MEV management solution is stakers in Ethereum, block proposers in Ethereum, if they are on that platform, then they can start making credible commitments of what they are going to do. For example, a block pro proposer in Ethereum, if they're restaked, they can make a statement that if I, I sign off on an encrypted transaction, and if I don't include the decrypted version of this transaction in my block, I'm willing to get slashed. This is an example of a credible commitment you can get by restaking on uh, by the block proposer restaking on Eigenlayer. The really interesting thing is as you start getting all the block proposers restake natively, you start accruing massive superpowers. You can start proposing very interesting protocol upgrades without actually having to upgrade the protocol. For example, if you want to get things like single slot finality, Ethereum takes many blocks now before it finalizes, but if you if all the stake all the ETH block proposers are opted into eigenlayer they can make a commitment that they won't fork a certain block and that block becomes final immediately so you can start doing very interesting things there are a lot of protocol details to be worked out on things like this but you can start doing extremely interesting things because it's ETH stakers that are restaked number 1 number 2 you can start when you're building new services, like for example, you're building a rollup, you're building services on top of Ethereum. And if Ethereum, if you want to get alignment with the Ethereum ecosystem, uh, utilizing the ETH stakers for your other services is a natural mechanism. Uh, instead of just doing an airdrop where you're giving away your token or whatever to the ETH Ethereum community, you could also in addition or instead do each staking for securing your services where there is a very clear exchange of value for actually what you're doing, as well as an alignment to the ecosystem. So that's another important thing that, you know, for example, rollups could benefit from. Um, so I mentioned restaking gets, gives you superpowers in terms of MEV and other kinds of additions to the Ethereum protocol. Restaking is helpful in getting an alignment with the Ethereum ecosystem in general. Um, so I would say those are the additional powers you have in restaking as opposed to staking any other token. And like I said, we are not opposed to staking other tokens on Eigenlayer. And we do expect when a middleware does a dual staking, both tokens may be on Eigenlayer. And we, we, may, even ex we may even see subsidiary effects like things like people using a Starkware token to restake for a Starkware Oracle. And these are all emergent effects of uh, inter-module security that Eigenlayer can offer. Thank you, that makes sense. So we have another question by Joseph. What are some of the middleware you would personally like to see developed on top of Eigenlayer? Yes, a great question. Um, so some of the middlewares, which I think makes uh, a lot of sense in the coming uh, months and years, number one, I mentioned data, data availability, which is, you know, restricted data availability bandwidth. Number two, I briefly mentioned about MEV management, but I can dive into a few examples of, because I think MEV management is one of those things where there is no clear right answer for what is the right way to do MEV management. One proposed mechanism is auctions, selling off block space. That could be a part of the solution. There could be other aspects to the solution 
where you know you want to protect yourself from getting sandwiched and you're you're willing to pay a premium for it and maybe there are solutions like threshold encryption that shutter network is building like chainlink is building a first come first serve ordering service and these could be very interesting services that can be built on eigenlayer for mev management there are other more sophisticated mev management things like event driven actions even though an actions are you know the category is called keepers right now chainlink has keepers but other uh, other uh, uh, services like gelato have keepers which are essentially mechanisms for triggering event uh, triggering actions based on the occurrence of some events and if you want to do some of these things more natively why because you know when somebody else when a third party is triggering actions Uh, which are then sent as transactions you do not know whether the third party didn't trigger the action or the transaction was not included because of you know censorship or other things going on at the block proposer but if a block proposer is staked then they can start and they have opted in to do event triggered actions you start seeing very interesting things like you know you can get liquidations you can get refilling of collateral you can get atomic arbitrage and between say uniswap and sushi swap and that those things then refueled back to the union sushi ecosystems these kinds of things can be built on top of eigenlayer is this is a different kind of mev management there are other solutions like rook which are essentially trying to uh, do a uh, feed some of the value that mev is creating back to the users and these can be built on top of eigenlayer so we see a plethora of i i i think i mentioned uh, mev auctions things like flashbots things like manifold blocks out some of these things can be built on top of eigenlayer so that's one category of mev management but to make ethereum the center of this multi chain world we also i think ethereum you know people discuss whether you know it's going to be a single chain layer 2 world or a multi chain world and you don't necessarily need to take a position on which is right to actually see that ethereum even if it's a multi chain world will be the center and the reason i say this is to be the center of the multi chain world you need three things you need very good bridges to all other chains number one number two you need high liquidity number 3 you need the hub to be more secure than all these other chains because if a lot of value is bridged in and this hub is not secure then it leads to problems and ethereum has all three it every new chain has a bridge to ethereum it's the most liquid it is also the most secure so there are uh, the the two problems there are number 1 is how good are bridges into ethereum so the the gold standard or at least the silver standard of bridges would be to build light client bridges you actually run light clients of these other chains to actually verify consensus agreement on these other chains before bridging state in and you can build light client bridges on top of eigenlayer and certify all of those things on onto ethereum so that's another category that we are quite excited about light client bridges another category that can be built on top of eigen layer is you know a layer of consensus in between rollups and ethereum like a layer 1.5 on which super fast consensus happens because ethereum uh, finalization is 12 minutes today if you want to get a finality time competing with aptos and solana and others you may want to get like 1 second or sub second confirmation times with high economic security if you have like you know a 10 billion dollar restaked on top of a consensus protocol which settles state really really fast and then certifies that state back on ethereum this could be something super interesting um so these are some of the categories that we are thinking through uh, i mentioned data availability i mentioned mev management uh, uh fast uh bridges um so just to add a little bit more on things like uh settlement layers one of the throughput limitations of ethereum comes from um from state growth the rate at which state the amount of ram or state grows on ethereum is a limitation for the throughput of ethereum there are two other limitations which is um non parallelized execution and the third one is 
non-native execution. For example, if you're running zero-knowledge proofs, instead of running them natively on C++ or bare metal, you're actually running it on top of an abstraction hierarchy. And when you start building these other settlement layers, which are particularly tuned to settling rollups, you could start seeing that they can actually uh, handle parallel zero-knowledge proof execution. They can handle things like native uh, execution on C++ or whatever is the default containers, as well as um, settlement itself does not incur state growth because you're just checking a zero-knowledge proof, which is mostly memoryless. So some of these advantages can be kind of containerized. And this is why we think modular, uh, the modular architecture pioneered by Ethereum is actually the right way of building these solutions uh, on a layer, layer upon layer of innovation, all of which can compose. So when people talk about things like composability, they're just talking about dApps being composable. But what we are envisioning at Eigenlayer and, and Ethereum's original vision itself is distributed systems composing. And so that's what we want to enable. So this is just a kind of some set of examples for what we think can be built on Eigenlayer. Uh, another example is decentralized sequencers. Can you do like ordering of transactions for all these rollups in a common system? So. Thank you. Thank you, Sriram. And you're obviously a, a super smart guy and, and very well versed in, in the blockchain space. So I'm going to ask you a, a slightly selfish question uh, on behalf of, of us and the team and obviously also in, in, in the best interest of the community. What are some projects which you see at the moment on, you know, to which we should pay a lot of attention to? Like, Where do you see currently the, the next innovation being built next to Eigenlayer? Oh, this is, uh, you know, I'm a fan of innovation wherever it's built, either whether it's inside the Ethereum ecosystem or elsewhere. And I think there are lots of really, really good, uh, good solutions uh, being built. And, um, you know, inside Ethereum, we know things like flashbots innovating not only on uh, MEV mechanisms, but also thinking through the long-term uh, health of the ecosystem. We saw the raise of liquid staking, which has led to additional capital efficiency in the uh, ecosystem, Lido being a market leader there. We see things like uh, Bloxroute, which is doing very effective block propagation uh, technologies. That is really interesting to us. We see things like uh, SUI, where there is parallel execution and parallel consensus. You know How to bring some of these ideas back to Ethereum is something we're interested in. Uh, we see uh, inside Ethereum, I mentioned several MEV management things already, and they're all quite interesting. I mentioned Manifold, Gelato, Chainlink, Shutter. Uh, these are all pretty interesting projects. Uh, what I did not mention is the layer two rollups, which I think have been discussed a lot about. We know Starkware, Optimism, Arbitrum, Fuel, ZK Sync, um, Polygon, making massive strides in the layer two space. So... These are all, uh, all, you know, something that we're super excited about. Um, also, things like Infura trying to decentralize the RPC services. So that's something we're super excited about. Uh, if Infura can, for example, run on Eigenlayer. So these are some of the directions. But I think I'm sure I'm missing lots of innovations out there. Uh, things like Solana, which came up with some really good ideas for how you could do uh, multiple block proposals simultaneously making commitments using things like verifiable delay functions. So there are lots of good ideas out there and we are always trying to find the best ones and bring it to Ethereum. Uh, yeah, I, I've, I'll mention one which I don't know how to bring to Ethereum, things like Chia, which is a proof of space protocol, which uses RAM to actually get participation into the blockchain does not have the same economies of scale of you know running mining which which usually centralizes to the cheapest energy producer i think they have a very decentralized network um, so you know some examples of what i think are cool cool ideas out there of course things like the move vm uh, ideas from Polkadot on things like running parachains. Can you use Eigenlayer to run parachains? Things like subnets on Avalanche. Can you bring some of those ideas with different kinds of strong crypto economics onto Eigenlayer? So all of these are exciting directions for us. 
All right. Thank you so much for dropping so much knowledge in, in the past two, three minutes. That, that's super exciting to hear. And we actually have a, an AMA lined up for Friday with Fuel. So, you know, in case you want to listen in, uh, we actually have them as a guest in a few days. Absolutely. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. All right, uh, Sriram, uh, you know, we probably just covered like 30% of the, the questions which we actually have, but uh, you have been extremely, extremely generous with your time and with your insights. I would love to have you back uh, if you would be open to this, but I just want to say thank you for joining us today. It has been really eye-opening. Uh, you have an incredible knowledge about what you are building, but also of the space as a whole which I think is necessary if you want to be a good founder and if you want to lead your project into the right direction. So I'm very much looking forward to stay in touch. And if you, if you need anything where we could be of support to you, you know, please let me know. We have a, a couple hundred people, over 600 signed up for doing beta testing, alpha testing, you know, for being involved in, in test nets. So anything you need, just let us know. Thank you so much. We really appreciate this conversation and all the uh interesting questions that that have been brought here. Thank you all for taking the time to come and listen to this. All right. Thank you, Sriram. And thank you guys for listening in. It has been an absolute pleasure. The questions by the community have again been top tier and the live questions as well. Thank you so much for always being engaged and for always being active in our server and throughout our Twitter Spaces events. Um, yeah, if you guys enjoyed today's session, please be sure to leave a retweet, leave a like. Even if you're just listening to the recording, it's always appreciated if you guys show some engagement on Twitter. It just makes everything what we have in our server a little bit more public and allows us to use Twitter more or less as a business card for BBV and to get more and more top-tier guests like Sriram from Eigenlayer and, you know, Inadvertently, we are going to learn a lot of things. We're going to either directly and indirectly get the alpha directly from the big brains of the industry. And I think everyone is going to walk away from this AMA with a lot, a lot of learnings and a lot of inspiration. So thank you once again, Sriram. It has been an absolute pleasure. And thank you guys for listening in. Thank you so much. Yeah, Bye. thank you. Bye-bye. This recording has been prepared and made available by VVV. It is for informational purposes only and should not be considered a solicitation to sell, buy or subscribe to any financial instruments or products. VVV does not express any opinion as to the present or future price of any instrument mentioned in this recording. The information provided in this recording is believed to be valid and accurate on the date it is first published, but VVV, along with its directors, officers and employees, does not accept any liability for any loss arising from the use of this information as it may change in the future without notice. Any decision made by a party after listening to this recording shall be on the basis of its own research and not based on the information and opinions provided by VVV.